want to tell you about one of our partners, Quetzal Education Consulting. Quetzal Education Consulting is a queer, black, and indigenous women-owned firm offering anti-racist consulting, PD, coaching, keynotes, workshops, and more. Their newly released Abolitionist Teaching Workshop series coaches and prepares teachers to further develop abolitionist practices in the classroom. Find out why they have been called The Future of Educational Justice by Dr. Bettina Love. You can book a free consultation with Quetzal by calling 510-397-8011 or visiting quetzalec.com. That is Q-U-E-T-Z-A-L-E-C.com. And if you mention you heard about them through Two Dope Teachers, you will receive a 5% discount on their Abolitionist Teaching PD series. Once again, you can book them by visiting quetzalec.com on their Connect With Us page. Welcome back to another episode of the Exit Interview. Today I'm rolling solo dolo as Kevin is helping out someone with a broken dishwasher. So if you haven't, uh, if you forgot, my name is Dr. Asia Lyons, newly Dr. Asia Lyons, and I am here with a special guest, um, Dr. Oh, almost said, maybe I'm manifesting it. I'm saying Dr. Stacy Red. <laughs> hey, maybe so. Mm. Maybe so. So I'm here <laughs> with Stacy Brandon, good, good friend of mine, nice. a part of my education journey. Definitely someone I've probably spoken about on this podcast several times. And she's just here to share her exit interview story. So glad to have you on our podcast today, Stacy. Yeah, How are you today? I am great, Asia. It's been a long time coming to, to get to this point to have this conversation with you. So yeah, I'm for excited sure. about it. So you were in the, the same school district your entire career? Yes, One school district, years. multiple yep. schools. Tell us about that schools. part. Yes, yes. Um, so the school district that I went into, um, it was one of those things. I, and I believe, you know me, Asia, I believe everything it's for a reason. I have a deep faith in God. I um, The things that lined up in my life, even in that district, were because I was supposed to have all of those experiences. So the, re- mm-hmm. the how I got my job, totally crazy. Be it, and I wouldn't say crazy. It's all God. Um, and so I was getting ready to graduate. At graduate, and like I said, I was I, I actually was doing my internship in another district and knew I wanted to be a school social worker. I happened to call um, the district that I spent 28 years in. I called the director of mental health at that time. And you can't get through to people like that ever. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> And facts. I did. I had a conversation with him and he said, why don't you come in and meet me? Right. Um, now I probably think back on it and I'm like, he heard that I was black. <laughs> they probably were looking for black educators. I'm just Listen, saying. I think yeah. the same thing. I'm like, I was, I was, I got hired the same day. I'm so special. No, honey. He, he no. knew. Yes. <laughs> and then, uh, then of course he probably say, I thought she was black and then found out I was black. And then I was hired. I mean, I wasn't hired. I was sent over to a, another school, to a school to meet, um, the principal and kind of, uh, but I knew I would have to interview. So I interviewed there and wound up getting um, as school, as social workers and school psychologists, what happens is 
um, in a lot of districts, you get, um, you know, uh, a certain amount of FT, you're not full-time. So I was hired like three and a half days. And by the end of the summer, I had a full-time position in two different schools um, at an elementary and a high school. And um, I spent uh, like four years at the high school and then um, at the elementary school, I spent 12 years, but it was just what I, I wanted. And it was so interesting at that time. So many people said to me, well, you should be working in, you know, DPS <laughs> and mm -hmm. because that's where our black and browns and indigenous students are. And, um, and I would always say, well, we've got kids that look like me where I'm at and um, they, they need us also exactly um so it is yeah and what was um wonderful about the school that i was in was that um they were um <laughs> the quote-unquote demographics were changing <laughs> oh, okay which is coded language for more black and brown students were were moving in and um yeah. at, at that time I, so one of the first years, or one of my first, my first internship is at, um, in social work school, you do two kind of practicum in internships. My first one was at um, where I was working at the time, I was working at a program called Family Futures, which was really about helping um, young moms and uh, women to um, further their education. And they gave them all kind of uh, monetary support and um, support around their uh, parenting and mm -hmm. things like that. And so I was a child development um, specialist or whatever. And I would go into homes. I would do, I was a home visitor. So I would go into oh, homes nice. to talk about age appropriate child development activities. So what's funny, Asia was, so one of the things when I became a social worker in this district, one of the first things, you know, they, I was, I was hired to do also was a part, a little part of my, um, my job was working with Head Start because Head Start was just coming to that district. And so home visiting, um, if anybody has been in Head Start knows home visiting is a huge part of their programming um, and actually how they mandated it for Head Start was a, a lot of in-person home visits, things like that. So mm -hmm. I would be, I would home visit in that elementary school, not only with the Head Start preschool families, but also with just the families. And people were like, are you crazy or whatever? And I was like, well, I was a home visitor in Northeast Denver. I mean, you talking about <laughs> Aurora, yeah. Uh, right? Um, yeah, and that's how I met so many families. I um, I, re I remember, you know, now this, you know, this would never happen. I would, I would have families in my car. I had a, you know, I had a car seat because uh, I had babies by then. Because while mm -hmm. I was first few years I had two more kids but I, I'd have a built-in you know car seat and I would be taking families over to admissions to get them um into to school almost because it, oh, it wow. to me it was crazy it was just like where the admissions buildings were compared to where our neighborhood was um most families were prohibited um they would have to use um you know, transport, you know, uh, what do I want to say? Public transportation. Yeah. Or taxis they or get something. there. Um, or if they had to take, you know, if this was before, you know, we did a lot of work with faxing and scanning and emailing and all of that. And people didn't have computers in their homes. And so it was literally go pick up families, take them to get enrolled. Um, I remember even taking them down to 
you get birth certificates at um, <laughs> and wow. the birth certificate place or the well, licensing place was in Glendale at that time. Just I, I can just look back on so many things that um, I did that probably um, you you can't put families in cars in, anymore or kid transport kids or transport yeah. children. Um, it was to me a true social worker um, position, not just a you know school social worker. It was to me like what was happening in um, as a caseworker for social services sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I have a good friend, um, Rakesha Groves, and shout out to Rakesha if you're listening. Mm-hmm. She's a social worker, and she just transferred over to working at the state level. But she talks about when she was living in back in Michigan, putting kids in the cars and driving families over to different places, mm-hmm. and and you know like th- doing home visits and things like that. I remember when I left student teaching, when I went to the, into the district, I was like, oh, I'm going to get to do home visits. And no one did them. Mm-mm. And I was like, what? I thought Mm-mm. we, and it, it just never happened. So yeah. And then, so thinking about it, how long were you a social worker? And then like yeah. kind of, yeah. How long was that? It's so it's interesting. I think social work is still in my blood. I still yeah. believe I'm a school social worker. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other night. I was like, so am I still a social worker or am I a racial equity leader or am I a combination of both? But um, technically I was a social worker throughout my 28 years. However, um, I wasn't working in schools any longer in that social worker, quote unquote, social worker role. So I did that uh, for 17 years and then uh, almost 18 years and then went into um, well, first I became a um, PBIS uh, coach. Public, uh, what is it? PB. I was going to say public broadcasting. No, it's not. <laughs> positive behavior interventions, or um, which I don't, I don't know anymore. Yeah, PBIS, and I don't, yeah. I don't agree with that philosophy anymore. So, if anybody's listening and you're like, "How could you have done that as a black school social worker?" You're right, and I don't necessarily go by that philosophy anymore. Um, and so I did that for uh, about three years, four years, and then um, was lucky enough, fortunate, or maybe it's just my purpose. I say, again, God opens these doors for you. And um, I became, um, I went into the equity office um, and was a coordinator at first, or yes. And then moved into, when I left, I was a director of um equity cult well it's the name of it changed but while I was there it was I was the director of inclusive excellence so yeah yeah which yeah. is a whole nother story because I had to get my principal license during that time and I swore I would never be a principal I did not want to go you into did say that yes and uh that was all um all because of a woman named that you know <laughs> Her name is Keisha Hill and yes. she's a black teacher. She is, uh, she actually still in education. She's one of my good, good friends. And she talked me into going and getting my administrative um, at principal license. Um, and she and I did it together. So, yeah. That's awesome. And just think about, just kind of thinking about the, the need to get a principal licensure. And like, it's, it seems like that's the hill. That's the access point. And I, I thought that working in the same district for a long time, that was what you had to do, Yeah. right? And then I hear the stories and lived experiences of other educators, social workers, counselors, folks like that in other districts. And they're like, no, 
Right. No, we didn't have to do it this way. We did this way, or I came in from the business sector or whatever. And so I think about that now and I'm grateful. I don't have my, my principal licensure. I do have my master's, but I think like how much better would it have been if we gave folks, not we, they gave folks multiple pathways into leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. because one of the things you're right is because one of the things about what's, 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 um, what I, and I I, I use the word crazy a lot, but I, I, it's not the right word, but it's almost ludicrous uh, about the pathway of principles. Um, Usually Mm -hmm. you have to be a teacher for a certain amount of time. Well, not even a certain amount of time, right? It just depends. And then you go and get your uh, uh, type D or whatever it's called. I can't even think of type D, type D. Um, And you go to get, and that's a two-year program or some people, you know, fast track it. And then you become an AP assistant principal and then you become a principal. But it's almost backwards because you don't really have to spend a lot of time in the classroom teaching before you become a principal and you yeah. want to do it at the right way at the at because you if you're out there and you're you know what I'm talking about as an educator so if you spend 12 13 years in the classroom and decide oh I want to be a principal now you take a pay cut when you go sure do a principal right yes, yes. specifically and, in the district that we were in that's how yeah, it worked yeah and a lot of districts and then you become a principal right mm-hmm. um there's so many things wrong with the educational system, just so many things wrong. And that's one of them, because I really believe that you should spend more time as an educator and not just in your own grade, but all the grades, maybe in your if you decide to be an elementary principal and then you move up. And then the other thing is, and this is coming from somebody who has a principal li- principal license that never was a principal. Let me make that make that clear. Right. But I also spent before I got my principal license, 14 years in education in, mm-hmm. in schools, right? And um, knew SPED really well, because you have to, as school social worker, you SPED, knew how to work with families. Do, uh, who do they call first uh, um, when there's conflictual or parents who are you know breaking down or um, students who are breaking down? They call the mental health in, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, you have to, mm-hmm. I had to deal with discipline. That's part of the reason I became a principal because I was in, um, I was left in school as a de facto principal most of the time because principals were out of the buildings. Mm-hmm. And at that time, they didn't have a lot of assistant principals in the schools that I was in. So I was handling behavioral kinds of things, which I didn't necessarily agree with because I think a social worker operates differently from a principal in a disciplinary matter. Um, Right. And you can't, you can't do both of those positions. Anyway, I could go on and on about that, but what we're, what I find, what I found when I went to get my uh, license licensure that, uh, and I'm not trying to push shade on teachers at all. Teachers have the hardest job in the world. But when I was getting my principal license, I realized that if you are just having one kind of view of the class, you only know your classroom, right? Um, At that time, that I was getting my principal license, they people don't encourage you to look at other classrooms. You go in your classroom, you close the door and you take care of your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's wrong too with the um, uh, teacher licensure programs too. 
they should give opportunities to look at other ways of teaching. Um, and I would be in class and folks wouldn't know special ed procedures, which goes into law. Like you have to yeah. know the law. Um, you have to know due process and disciplinary things. You have to know all of that. And I felt like I knew um, a lot of things about how to calm parents down. I knew about culture and climate of a building. I knew about culture and climate of classrooms because I could walk in classrooms and see right away if this was a teacher that was engaging kids or this was a teacher that was losing kids. And um, especially black and brown kids, right? That. Uh, I think that was one of the things that I felt like those are the kids I would always have to come get. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. in the hallway, you know, there's a predictability to that. And I, I thought, hmm, these folks are going to be principals and, and still are missing the importance of culture, of climate, of building relationships with kids about yeah. building school climate and a school that recognizes all children that is um, not based on your limited view of, because let's be real, um, most folks who go into education go into education because education has been good to them. <laughs> that <laughs> is true. Replicate what they see. So if you're a white teacher, and you had an amazing experience in school. It, 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 there's a reason why we have white females that are predominant um, in the teaching field. They have had, for the most part, and I know people will be like, you can't just generalize that. No, uh, I, I grew up with white girls who had excellent experiences in schools. <laughs> I went to graduate school with white girls who had excellent experiences in schools. And I actually was an educator with white women who perpetuated the same experience that they had, which was excellent with their kids. And anybody that falls outside of that, they don't do as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I teach, the audience I think knows this, I teach at CU Denver and I teach a course for first year, typically freshmen, some sophomores, uh, pre-service educators, yep. always white girls. This semester mm -hmm. I had a, a mix of Latin A, and white girls and one black girl I have I've taught there six semesters no black men oh. no brown men two mm -hmm. white men and it is the same you ask them why why education why teaching my family is full of teachers yeah. um I something traumatic happened and now they want to change the system because mm -hmm. their brother was bullied or something um mm -hmm or um they love kids yep that's just, it's just like over and over and over again and I have a few that will say things like I already changed my my major once and I can't change it again or my parents will be mad at me mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um but you're right it's the same it's exact same white woman story over and over again yep just constantly right mm -hmm. and which is why this is my last semester teaching my work is on black educator wellness mm. is not here to like continue to yes. push white women and their agendas through education systems yes yes, yes. so let me ask you a question because we can be here all day just like you said right so, like, right we're at this place where you're saying like well now i'm doing different work and so mm -hmm. the question we always ask on our our show is so what was like the last straw how did you know it was time to leave <laughs> the, the particular district you're working in and do something else 
Ooh, that would be a whole nother story too, but I'll try to be brief around that. Um, so you've known me for a while and um, I was burnt out a long time ago. I was burnt out a long time ago. I just didn't, didn't know it. And, and maybe I knew it, but I was just fearful of it. I hadn't faced it. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, when I went into the district equity office, I found a new purpose. I had been doing um, the work of racial equity for, for a while um, in, my, in my specific schools. And, um, but I don't feel that I was as um, bold in my purpose um, during my early years. I mean, I look back on those early years and I think that I was, well, I, and I think, I know I was um, palatable I was a, mm-hmm. I was the, the black woman who would talk about her black experiences and, um, you know, make sure that I was, um, I always had affinity for, for, for black kids and, uh, Latine, I like, uh, kids and, um, you know, just kids of color. I, I would mm-hmm. always gravitate to, to them and have an affinity for spaces and in parents, but I didn't think that in in meetings and thing, I, things, I I spoke up enough. And I remember one of my first times speaking up was when um, Trump was elected. No, not when Trump was elected. Ugh. When Obama was elected, and um, I was I in, love that. Ugh. <laughs> I know. Ugh. I went to. I was in a in a space, and um, the the white educators we the day that uh obama won you know it was a a beautiful day for black no despite what you feel about obama now at that time it was like uh wow we have actually Mm -hmm. a black man who has been um elected president we see a black family right and Mm so people were black folks were rejoicing all my family the folks that i know were all rejoicing and i went into this um so this is probably the first first straw that I was like, yeah, this is not for me anymore. Um, And I went into the, uh, it was staff meeting and the white folks, not all of them, but some of the white people in there were, you know, visibly mad, visibly upset and everything. And I remember standing up, I don't know what was said, but I remember standing up and saying, you, I, I don't care what your political, you know, affinity is. I, it's, I'm paraphrasing this, and I don't care that you may be upset, but I will tell you that 99% of Black folks, that means most of your the children in your classrooms, and, and my son, my youngest son was going to school at, there at the school I was at at that time, will, um, this is an extraordinary day. This is a history making, this is a historic day, and they are celebrating today. So whatever your feeling is, You've got black kids sitting in your classrooms that are excited and were cheering last night. So how dare you take away their joy? I remember that was the first time I was like, oh, Stacey, you went there. Yeah. <laughs> Out loud, right? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. And then that same year is remember when Obama went to speak to all the educators. I mean, went to speak to all the nation's school uh, kids. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and we had folks opting out opting out from the president speaking and we got we have folks in my school teachers that were saying I'm not gonna play that play him and I was like yeah this not for me this not for me because because my son was in one of um the classrooms that they were thinking about opting out and I was like nope 
nope, nope. Yeah. And I, <laughs> so I was like, okay. So that was the start. That was before, that was when I was a social worker. And then when I went to the ed, uh, equity department, I was really excited to be doing the work of racial equity to centering race. Um, but I got to tell you, and you know this, Asia, the more you go up in administration, the more you raise yourself, not raise yourself, but the more that you enter into those sacred, quote unquote, sacred places of higher uh, administration, you see, you see some mess. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. You meet, you see some mess and you truly realize this, this system wasn't built for us mm-hmm. in no way, no shape, no form at all so those those things started to just eat away at me and then uh, my last year and a half when I was or two years when I was a director you know I thought wow Stacy you you not even you made it you didn't even you weren't even an AP you weren't even a principal but you I always believe God gave God allowed me to get my um my um, principal license for a reason because because everyone asked me my husband would say too are you serious? We just spent all this money in loans and you are not going in to uh, be a principal. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to lose too much money. And my, um, my, I had two sons in college at that time. It makes no sense to go back. And I'm like, no, not for more yeah. days working. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was excited about becoming a director. And um, I got to tell you, uh, it was the hardest two years of my entire life. My health started, um, you know, I was telling you, I, I'm having health, health issues, emotional issues. Uh, I, I thought I was having a heart attack on several occasions. I started having panic attacks. My health just deteriorated. My emotional health was, um, was just, was not good. Yeah. And so I think the last straw for me really was, just not being healthy, just not being physically healthy, not being emotionally healthy. And I knew it was time to go. And I was scared because that's all I knew for 28 years. And um, you and I had talks. I had talks with um, uh, quite a number of of, um, Black women who are my mentors and friends. And uh, I I finally said, this is it. Mm -hmm. I I can't. put faith over fear and I decided and then <laughs> then there was uh, early retirement was offered in the district I was in and I was like yep this is it this is my this is this is time mm-hmm. yeah I think mm-hmm. about in the audience we talk about this all the time so the audience knows um we talk about racial battle fatigue in mm. on this podcast so much right yes. and the ways that it shows up and your story you know this is not mm-hmm any different from every single person comes on here the panic attacks the crying the just all the things right increased blood pressure fill all fill in the things fill in the blank um and there are so many folks who are like if i if i'm in the equity department in the school district then i'll really be able to do something Mm -hmm. if i become a principal (laughs) i'm gonna really be able to change things around all i have to do is get just one more license just one more certification they're gonna really listen to me and Mm -hmm. audience She's telling you as someone who ran an equity department for a school yep. district, it was the worst two years of her life. Yes. Yes. 
Yes, I did. A, I, did, I would say I did a lot of good, but I, and I planted a lot of seeds and I made a lot of relationships. That is the, the thing that I, I think I miss the most is the relationships that I made. I still have, um, I get at least two calls a week from a, particularly Black women who are just suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, to be a Black woman, I believe in education and upper leadership is um, very, it's, di- it's, difficult. It is downright brutal because how you are treated as a black woman, right? How you are questioned, how you are made to feel that you have no right to be angry. I have every right to be angry because this system is failing kids. This, this, this system is not made for children. It's not made for us as educators. Right. And you, and I'm watching, I'm watching harm and I'm complicit in harm. I think that's the Mm -hmm. hardest thing is that um, you may, once I began to really take a look at myself in the mirror and realize that I'm complicit in this and that I am swallowing this every single day, doesn't matter if I'm speaking out, I'm still complicit in a system that is meant to do harm to our children. And then the secrets you have to hold and the things that you know that other people, yeah, that eats away at you. That is truly racial battle fatigue. And um, yeah. it, it can kill you. And I finally decided I can't die like this. I've got my own four children, three grandchildren that I want to live for. And, you know, it's, I don't know. Did I tell you this? That So when you were defending your dissertation and you were talking about racial battle fatigue and its impact on the family and the night before I was going to your um, dissertation defense, I asked my husband, you know, I was telling him about your um, defense. And I said, so, and this is the first time I ever asked him this. And I said, did you feel the impact? Did I tell you this? And he told me, oh yeah, I did. And he told me, he's like, yeah, I felt like you weren't available. And I'm like, what? He's never said that. And I was not available to him. I was not, I was not available at all. So, so tired. So just mentally Oh, it's been a whole year of healing and I'm still working on the healing. I'm going to pause right there. Okay. It's a lot. And we're going to take a break mm-hmm. and we'll be back in a moment. But yeah, no, I'm with you. I hear you. Audience, we'll be back. Mm-hmm. All right, folks, we are back from our break. Um, and we're here with Stacy Brandon again, telling her story. And so Stacy, we left off with you basically deciding it was time to go. Yeah. It wasn't worth your health. Your, you talked about your husband saying that you weren't available. Um, and so then the question we ask next typically is like, if school districts, if unions, if places where educators, um, gather uh <laughs> want to hold on to retain black folks in education like what do you think in your opinion they can do to make that happen not necessarily recruiting people right yeah. but holding on to folks who are already in the space yeah Recruit, recruiting seems to me to be the easiest thing um and i and i just want to first say that um a lot of uh, black folks don't have the, you know, I had the opportunity to leave and I should have left a long time ago and I was fearful. 
Um, and then I had the means to be able to, to leave financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody doesn't. And I recognize that. And I just want to say that, uh, you know, um, and there were times in my life that I could not have left. We were raising mm-hmm. four children, all of those things. And I, I think I know that God sustained me to be able to leave. <laughs> he was also preparing me for this. But um, you also don't want to die too, right? While you're, you don't want to die while you're trying to make your, your, you know, pay the bills. You just can't. So to answer your question, I, you know, I have thought a lot about that around retention. Somebody told me the other day that retention is, isn't even the word that we should be using because yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> it right. has some connotation. I don't know what the word around was. ownership. Oh yeah. Were we talking about that? Somebody was talking about ownership. No, some, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. So yeah. a good friend of mine, Dr. Trinidad actually told me that. And I was like, oh yes. Oh, yeah. And then I'm glad I'm going to change my question in my interviews from now on. Yeah. Cause that does, it's like the connotation of ownership. Yeah. And I think that really is a piece of what it's going to take is for one, you're not owned by a school district. You're not, they don't own you. They have no rights to, and as long as we have that (laughs) mentality, like they can tell me what to do and how to do it and when to do it. And I'm just going to show up and do what they say. I think once you realize that you are free, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that you want liberation, Mm -hmm. that is the goal um, you're no longer scared to speak your truth and be authentic to yourself. Um, I realize that people have to stay um, for whatever reasons. And so if if that is your what you have to do in the meantime, um, I'm really big on strong sisterhood bonds, right? Of being able to get with your sisters in um, a space and, and not just focus on, oh, this is what's hard and this is what's challenging, but really start to bring some joy practices, some healing practices, some breathing practices together. And you can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. We as black folks weren't meant to do this alone. We, mm-hmm. you know, we need to get back to our original ways of being because they stripped that from us at such a young age. From kindergarten on, we're told that you are an individual and you don't need anybody else. No, 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 no. We need each other. So if you're going to survive in a school district, go seek out those people that you can trust for one, because that's one of the things that we, I know that happened to me is I can't trust nobody up in here for one. I, you know, there, you know, my white colleagues are having what are those uh, Friday night FACs? They're going to each other's houses. And, you know, I never did that stuff because I'm not, you're not, mm-mm. my mom taught me like our personal business stays our personal business. I'm not Thanks. coming in here Monday telling you all about what happened to me over the weekend. No. And that is harmful to us or to me. But I, if I had a network of sisters and I, I developed that, right? Mm-hmm. To I can call them and say, hey, this is what's happening to me. Um, can we can we talk? Can we have a, can we have a drink? Can we have some coffee? That is one of the things going to uh, sustain you. But also just making sure that for me, meditation started happening um, a lot more regularly so I could spend time with God and I could spend time with myself and, you know, 
I think the other thing is when you have a family, you you believe you have to give everything to your family. So this you're giving to work, you're giving to family. And I lost myself in that. And so I would advise you, advice, especially Black women, is that we need that space, that sacred place for ourselves too. Because mm-hmm. we give so much away and we're told that that's how you have to be as a strong black woman and it's not true you can ask for help you can tell people i'm suffering you can ask for you know i just need to just two minutes of your time where i just need you to breathe with me (laughs) Mm -hmm. those things um i don't think the system can do it i i I don't think you can look to uh, hr department or the equity office or you can't they cannot do that. They can't do that for you. So you, so you're going to have to take care of yourself. Um, and that means partnering with other folks um, in your school district and not just black people. I'm big on black folks and I know it, but we've got to have some um, interracial kinds of, um, what do I want to say? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, we got to stop fighting within the people of color yeah. <laughs> spectrum. Yeah. And I don't but know if the I conflict like yeah. anymore, Tension. the conflict, like we need to, to, yeah, black, brown, indigenous, Asian, Asian American, Pacific Islanders. You know what? We got power as a collective. We got more power together to go after systems that are doing, that are harmful to our kids because our Asian kids are being harmed. Let's mm-hmm. just, our Latin, Latinx kids are being harmed. Um, we can go to our Pacific Islander kids are being harmed. Our indigenous kids are being harmed. Mm-hmm. Our kids, our black kids are being, they are all being harmed. Now we know black kids um, on a, on a whole, that disproportionality is huge. But if you go into the numbers, you will see that all of our kids are being harmed. So yeah, yeah, we have to come together on some things in in the school districts too. I want to say, you know, I told the audience when we first started this and this spot, this this particular taping is going much longer, which I'm totally Mm -hmm. okay with. So I hope folks are still listening. Like you talk about coming together as a collective. And I will say that, Stacy, this is from our audience. Stacy literally got me through my last year in teaching. Mm, thank you. I mean, I was calling, texting, crying, snotting. She's coming to my classroom and supporting me. And she was just like, maybe it's time for you to go. Right. And I was like, yeah, I have to get out of here. I have to get out of here. And so it was the support of Stacy being there for me to say, like, this is not going to change. And she, at this point, she's in the equity department so she understands like if i'm if i'm telling you it's not changing it's not changing so i love that like this idea of collective care right and community yeah. care um because we do need it and it and it's sometimes it is us telling each other like it's time to go yeah, yeah. it's time to go we've breathed enough we've hummed enough, we've journaled enough, <laughs> yes. we've man- right, we've looked for the miracles, we've made the altar to the ancestors, it's just time to go. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so the next question then is, you've made that decision, you left, what are you doing now? Yeah, thank you, Asian, I'm sorry, this is kind of going long, I get mm, long-winded. This is great, no, this is great. And thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for saying that. I think if there's collective care, I wish somebody would have told me a long time ago, Stacey, it's time for you to go. Um, because then you feel guilty that you're leaving people and kids 
Um, but I think I have said that more, uh, more often than not these days, like mm-hmm. there is <laughs> these millennials. No, you don't have to stay in a place. <laughs> you do Honey. not have to stay in a place that is harmful to you. You don't yeah. let me say that to you out there. You do not have to. Right. Um, but what I'm doing now, I'm working for a educational consulting company, um, just doing, um, some some work around racial equity work. Um, Asia has me doing, you know, hopefully doing some things too. Um, For sure. And you know, one of the things I really want to do that's that is going to come to fruition um, is uh, really uh, have a space for Black women educators specifically, um, just to heal. You know, I'm really big on healing and joy now. Love Dr. Padina, love and Goldie Muhammad that really yeah. embrace this joy. Because I can sit here and tell you all the harm that has been done to me. But I also know that there has been so much joy in my path that I don't mm-hmm. want to let go of. So I want to do some joy practices too. So I, I think that's in my future. And and then um, Asia just called out, maybe I'll get my doctorate at some point. <laughs> I keep resisting it. (laughs) I mean, hey, listen, I don't put anything past anyone these days. Yeah. Yeah. So last question, what's bringing you joy these days? Ooh, what's bringing me joy? Joy for me has been leaving a district that I thought I would be there forever. That is joyful. Mm -hmm. It's joyful to look back and... uh, and the relationships that I have bring me joy. Um, healing, healing has been bringing me joy. Breathing has been bringing me joy. Not having heart palpitations and feeling like I was going to die is bringing me joy. Um, you know, my husband and I, you know, empty nesters, that brings me joy. Seeing my four grown children, um, you know, them make their own pathways and embrace life they bring me so much joy. Uh, my family, my extended family brings me joy. Being able to um, think about my ancestors, you know, my, my parents passed away too. That was another straw though, too. My parents, both my parents died in the same year in 2014. And uh, my, you know, losing my mom and dad, um, worst, 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 worst thing that could ever happen. But um you know, just being, being joyful that I had, um, that I have two parents that just loved me very much. You know, like I said, my dad was out of my life for about 10 years, but, you know, I knew him at the end, um, at the last 30 years of my life and, uh, or of his life. So he brings me joy knowing him, you know, that you can get, re- you can repair broken relationship. That brings me joy. Mm-hmm. Um, watching, you know, having, you remember my mom is a single mom, she, I have joy in thinking about what she left in me, her late, my legacy. One of the last mm-hmm. things she told me was to do, um, she was really big on me finishing, getting my um, administrator's license. And the year that I went into the equity part department was the year that she passed away and she would be so proud. So that gives me joy. So lots of things bring me joy now. Lots I of things. Love mm-hmm. I love Talking that. to you brings me joy. I know we get on yeah. the phone. <laughs> And we Watching could just your go, intern okay? brings me joy. <laughs> yeah, shout out to the intern, Zoe. Yes. Which now I have a lock on my office door. 
but she's already jiggled it two times. So I know that she would have been in here if she could have been. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. My, you know, I have a lot of sisterhood networks too, and they bring me joy too. I have a, a black book club that I'm in. I've got a, another group called Moms in Touch that used to uh, help us out where we write um, kids in college and encourage them in their walk with God. And, and just, it's hard to be a teen, I mean, a, a college student now. So that brings me joy. So my, I have my Spelman sisterhood brings me joy. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. All right, beautiful folks. Um, thank yeah. you so much, Stacy, for coming on. Thank you for having um, me. This was cathartic. I'm going to tell you all, come on, exit interview. So you- <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're always looking for guests to come on. So definitely email us um, at two dope teachers at gmail.com if you would like to be a guest on our show. But thank you so much, Stacey, um, for sharing your time with us, for your story. Um, we appreciate you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. If you all are not in a uh, relationship with uh, Dr. Asia Lyons, you need to get in relationship with her. <laughs> I appreciate that. You're missing that. out. If you're not I appreciate out. that. Thank you. <laughs> all right, audience, we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Ava interview. Bye. 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 Bye.